Otherwise on SAFM. It's Thursday's edition of Otherwise and welcome to it. My name is Shadow Twala and you're listening to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Hazel Makuzeni is my producer and our technical producer is Rob Parkin for today. You may reach us on 0892-102010, email otherwise at safm.co.za or Twitter at otherwise SAFM. It's that time of the year again with the biggest golfing attraction in Africa, the Nedbank Golf Challenge. This year it has entered a new era with a change in format. The most significant restructuring of Africa's major in its 32-year history will feature an increased 30-man field competing for a total purse of $6.5 million at the Gary Player Country Club from the 5th to the 8th of December. SAFM Sports Special will bring you all the excitement and interviews on Saturday the 7th and Sunday the 8th of December, live from Sun City. Join me, Brad Brown, at this year's Nedbank Golf Challenge, Africa's very own major. Otherwise, on SAFM. On Otherwise, we continue to observe the 16-day campaign, and today we turn to religious communities, and my guest is Janine Shamos, Executive Director of the South African Centre for Religious Equality and Diversity. Welcome, Janine. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on your show. And thank you for joining us. Tell us a bit about your organization. We are founded, um, we were founded in 2011, mm-hmm. um, and we operate under the Progressive Jewish Organizations banner. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're very much a social justice organization to raise awareness about issues facing all South Africans from a faith perspective, so religious equality, diversity, social justice for all, and really trying to get a dialogue going so that we can make our country as powerful as it should be. Which is why today you have this event, uh, t- which is one of a, many, a series of them, the Interfaith Discussions. Give us a background. So today we watching the weather um, and what's going on in Joburg with vague interest. But um, today is the first of the series um, in conjunction with Constitution Hill, and we'll be holding an interfaith discussion that is open if anybody has nothing to do tonight and wants to come for some interesting conversation. Um, based around the 16 days of activism and nonviolence against women and children, we are looking at a faith perspective. What is the, the religious text? from different perspectives and how can we work together to really address and try and prevent domestic violence or violence against women and children mm. and, and what does your faith as you know it say about that well as I think a lot of faiths um, have a kind of you know depending on how we address and how we interpret text but the progressive Jewish religion and Jewish religions generally like most faiths honor women and we look at women as a creation of God and equal in those eyes, but how we interpret that, very often women don't have a strong enough voice um, across the country and Mm -hmm. across faith groups. And it's so important that we let women talk, that we, we don't so much talk to them as we do listen to them and really get that conversation going and protect our women and give them an equal voice and an equal footing. Do you believe that uh, a lot of people will, will respond to you positively? I'm not too sure how, if, if we're not talking or preaching to the converted, you know, inviting interfaith 
um, uh, leaders to come and join you. And, and, and I think that's what they do all the time when they stand on that pulpit and preach whenever they have a congregation. Should we, is, is there a way we can take that message to the streets and have the conversation there? Absolutely. I think it's a very important issue and we're hoping, you know, we have opened it up to to the wider public, to congregations and I think you're absolutely right that we do very often preach to the converted um, and it is important that we're, we're taking messages from leaders to their congregations and really getting out there to grassroots level and we're really hoping that through this medium and through Conhill that we can spread that message and get people talking and maybe thinking a little bit differently. Mm. Because I'm thinking, you know, the the guy who's a perpetrator of rape or abuse uh, possibly doesn't go to church. I think too often. Um, I was in a very interesting talk um, last week, an interfaith discussion with the Archbishop, and some scary stats have come through that a lot of perpetrators are actually religious leaders or go to church. They're the ones who are sitting there. And in our faith, I'm not saying church specifically, but we know that it happens. Um, You know, and the Jewish community is certainly not exempt. I don't think any faith group is. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, you know, we we teach our women to, you know, be safe. But I think we need to be preaching to our men on how to respect women. And that's an important part of any faith group. So what happens at this event? People will come in this evening, have a conversation, um, you know, depending, and I think there'll be lovely discussions around uh, the, the interpretations, as you say. What happens to that information? What we're looking at is, you know, as as you know, we, we're going to be doing um, discussion panels, um, presenters presenting their perspectives and then open to the floor. We are going to be all signing a pledge and pledging from a faith-based perspective um, to protect women and children and looking from getting that into a broader community where we're asking leaders and asking people who are attending to take that back Mm -hmm. and let's get the media going, let's get congregations going and let's get the message. It's so important that we all take that responsibility because elimination of, of violence against women and children is all our responsibilities, and we need to start that movement to equality. Um, I wish I wish you would have been on Skype or something, so that people that are not there would be able to participate or even live stream. You know the, the conversation. Absolutely. I'm curious to know who your leaders are, your your various faith leaders. We've got a fabulous lineup, and and you know, in terms of Skype and Facebook and all of those kind of things, we are. Really hoping that next year the infrastructure will be there and that mm-hmm. we can get that going. Mm-hmm. Um, but people can can follow us on Twitter. Um, I will be updating as we go. Mm-hmm. And anybody who wants information can visit our website or, or email me and I'll send them information with pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, our leaders, we have um, the founder of Sacred, um, Rabbi Jacobs, mm-hmm. and he will be doing the opening and the pledge. We have Rabbi Shaked from Beit Emmanuel. Um, we have Bishop Lee from the Anglican Archdiocese, Reverend Ackerman from the Lutheran Church, um, and various members from different Jewish, um, we're hoping Muslim and traditional religions and cultures mm-hmm. who are going to be doing ceremonies and giving their perspective of how they're working on the ground with people, maybe at grassroots level, 
and not in a congregation necessarily that are trying to change mindsets. Do you have women speakers? We do. Um, our chair is also female, um, oh. and we do have a couple of female speakers from various um, organizations, including Giddy Leaf. Um, she's from the, the Jewish Union of, of Women. Um, and we do have quite a, a broad female base, as well as um, some children who will be there to lend their voices to this. Mm. Do you, would you have room for victims or people that are still healing from abuse? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a part of, you know, what there are a number of organizations. One of them that we work with is Shalom Bayat, which is specifically counseling and a safe house for victims of violence within the home, mm-hmm. um, within the Jewish community. Um, and very often, I think like a lot of victims, there's first and foremost the shame and the stigma and the misunderstanding that it takes a lot of courage to come forward and admit that you've been hurt by someone who's supposed to be protecting you or supposed to be equal to you. So we are going to be having victims or survivors, as I prefer to call them there, mm-hmm. um, and places of support. One of the things we are doing is handing out numbers that people can contact of helplines, counseling lines, and shelters um, that people, if they are in need, women or children or male victims, can contact for help. Well, Janine, I know you're an appropriate person to, to, to run this program uh, because, you know, you also have something called the RAP program where you've co-developed a resilience program for the South African market. Yes, um, a fascinating program, if I say so myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> but arrogant of me there. <laughs> Sorry. Um, something I'm very passionate about. Um, I do, my history is, is mental health, so that's, my big passion and resilience for me is the key to building a healthier future for all of us. Um, you know, if we can raise our children to be strong and resilient with healthy self-esteem, they, they learn how to say no, they learn how to stand up for their rights. So the RAP program was originally developed by an Australian professor who's an ex-South African, so I don't feel like a traitor yeah. saying that I'm working with an Australian. So <laughs> um, he um, developed it, and it's, it's in 14 countries, and it's in South Africa finally. And we have adjusted it slightly for the South African market and for you know updating as we go. Um, we're going to be piloting the program on a bigger scale um, in a couple of correctional facilities as well as some schools um, in the Joburg area, which is going to be very exciting because we've done it originally with, with individual kids or with groups of kids, um, and now we're going to be really piloting it on a, on a school level. You, you are a resilience therapist and, 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 and lecturer, but you, you, you deal mainly with depression and suicide awareness and prevention? Yes, um, a lot of suicide prevention and bullying awareness and, and the depression comes in with a lot of abuse, unfortunately, and trauma in this country. And, and how, where do you work from? Do you go um, to people who are going, because I'm, I'm trying to figure out how, how one gets that treatment from you. Yes, well, I'm associated with the South African Depression and Anxiety Group. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been with them for a number of years, and we do have a helpline available that's open 365 days a year um, from 8 till 8, and people can access that help. Um, and people can also go on to, um, you know, we, in a personal capacity, <clears throat> excuse me, I take um, private clients. I very often do 
you know, sort of trauma awareness or working in workshops with schools, with communities to raise levels of awareness of, of empowerment and how they can cope. Um, we also work very closely with the police. Um, if there has been a trauma or victim empowerment centers. So there is access to that help. And I think a lot of people, you know, kind of think there's help available if you can afford tons mm-hmm. of money mm-hmm. um, and paying exorbitant fees per hour. Um, you said egg, myself included, we, we don't charge for our services. It is volunteer-based. It is an NGO. So if people need help, we go where the need is. Hmm. I'm going to ask you to stay on the line. Please, we'll take a, 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 a little break and come back and talk some more to you. Perfect. Thanks, Janine. The Specsavers Summer Promotion is back. Get a free pair of single vision prescription sunglasses up to the value of 2,100 Rand. That's right, free prescription sunglasses. To get yours, simply purchase an eye test and prescription spectacles. Plus, you can upgrade your free sunglasses to polarized lenses, eliminating blinding glare for only 299 Rand. Promotion ends 31 January 2014. Specsavers, for affordable eye care and a whole lot more. T's and C's apply. With the present-day magnitude of identity theft, fraud and hacking, learn how the new smart card ID will make a difference. Join us in discussion with the Minister of Home Affairs, Nanadi Pando, as she elaborates on the smart card ID system and its benefits for the country. To book your space, visit the new age.co.za or call 011-542-1218. Live on SABC2, sponsored by Telcom. The SABC and its foundation invite you to help raise funds for the Nelson Mandela Children's Hospital. You can contribute 20 rand to the hospital by SMSing the word CHILD to the number 40555. Network and administration fees apply. Help make Madiba's wish for a specialized children's hospital come true. SMS CHILD to 40555 to donate 20 rand. Thank you. In our SAFM documentary, The Sun. Chris McGregor and the Blue Notes left South Africa in 1964. They called it Blue Notes in order to have an anonymous name so that publicity would be possible without attracting attention to the fact that it was a mixed-race group, but one that would convey that it was jazz they were playing. Join me, Nigel Famas, for part one of Chris McGregor and the Brotherhood of Breath, the Blue Notes in South Africa. We keep hearing Chris McGregor, Chris McGregor. We need to talk about Johnny Jan. What role did he play in that band of Chris McGregor? I think he paid tribute to individuality and had respect for difference. Unlike under apartheid where there was no respect for difference. We had to sleep separately, for instance, in East London while all indigenous slept in the townships. This Sunday afternoon at half past two. Otherwise, on SAFM... Janine Shamas is my guest on the line, and she is Executive Director at the South African Centre for Religious Equality and Diversity. But Janine, you also have uh, uh, the Live Your Life courses that you give. Yes, and I think the name says it all, Live Your Life. Mm -hmm. Um, Without fear, without anything holding you back, and it sounds very preachy, but I think there are a lot of people who, myself included, who go through life, um, I was watching a, a series the other day and someone said life is a hell of a thing to have to go through. And I loved that because I thought that was very true. We deal with so much pain and so much stress and so much 
confusion that sometimes we forget how to just let go and be happy. So the, the Live Your Life courses are made for just ordinary people who, who need a break, who need a, a little push in the right direction, or just want some, a group of people who are like-minded, mm-hmm. um, a little bit of a break from the rut and the mad rat race of life, and just to appreciate happiness, get the right coping skills, and, and get yourself back on track. Well, it, it it would work very well if you started them early, though, hey, I mean, from a younger age, so that people at the at an adult life are able to deal with, with life itself. Absolutely. I think, you know, the younger we, we teach our children how to cope um, and resilience, and it is, unfortunately, it's a taught skill. We're not born, particularly nowadays, we're not born just able to cope with life. Um, there's some very lucky souls who just go through life very happy and, and excited and, and life is fantastic. But most of us struggle at some point. Um, and the earlier we start teaching those skills, the better. Um, but for adults as well, there are a lot of people who are stuck in in a downer situation who are mm. not sure how to get out of that. And, and giving them those opportunities, we always say it's never too late to learn. It's never too late to have a happy childhood. So... We never, you know, have to, to live in a, in a negative state. But certainly the younger we start and the, the more we encourage our children, the better it is. Now, you say you can make stress your friend. I don't want stress to be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want stress, stress to be can my friend. Stress be sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it sounds a little counterintuitive. I know. <laughs> But it makes sense because you say we live with stress every day. But I think this is the point, that we live with it every day and Mm -hmm. we kind of have this, yeah, go away, I'm not speaking to you, I'm going to ignore you. Yes. You know, sort of horrible person that I live with that really don't want to. Um, And if we kind of look at it and go, hang on, there's bad stress, but there's also good stress. Mm. Um, you know, if we didn't have the deadlines, we probably wouldn't achieve very much. If the alarm didn't go off, we probably wouldn't get out of bed. Um, and sort of rethinking, we, we're very, and I'm certainly one of those, I think most of us, we walk around and go, I'm so stressed. Yes. And we don't really know what that means. Um, and there are ways to enhance that, and not enhance the stress, but enhance the coping mechanisms and and deal with it and kind of turn it to your advantage. Um, so for me, that's always a big one because I'm one of those people who walks around going, ah, I'm so stressed. But actually, um, if we look at it a little bit differently, it can be quite an empowering situation to be in. Yeah, I want to be the master of my stress. Exactly. That's what I'm going to do. (laughs) Whipping you, let's whip stress. (laughs) Janine, good luck with the talk this evening. And let, let us know what happens. I would, I'm happy. To, I'm, I'm really curious to to hear, you know, the kinds of uh, conversations that are going to be had and how that information is going to be disseminated. Because we are during the 16 days of activism uh, needing to have the, these, these, this dialogue. So I'm really, and you're having it at the women's jail. That that, yes. that that says something as well. Exactly. It's a very telling, a very beautifully but haunting place. Yes. Um, and I'm looking forward to feeding back how, how the evening goes. Okay, it starts at 6 o'clock? Yes, it starts at 6 to 6.30. Registration is at 6. Um, it's at the Women's Jail. Please feel free if anyone wants to come and visit um, and wants to pop in. 
we're we're happy to have you and, and bring your questions and ask our leaders questions that, that you want answered. Mm. Well done, well done. Thank you, and and let keep us posted. Uh, shall we have your Shall we have your email address or or website to especially with with the other work that you do, the resilience yes. work? Do you have Absolutely. a website that you'd like to give us? Yes, people can go. I believe it is hanging at the moment, but that's a um, a technophobe, so it is there. It's um, www.liveyourlife.co.za, or people can email me. It's Janine. Shamos at gmail.com and they can contact me and I will send more information gladly. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Janine. Thank you. Have a fabulous day. Take care. That email again, janine.shamos, S-H-A-M-O-S at gmail.com. She does quite a lot, but I, I really urge you to, if you are in Johannesburg, go to the women's jail this evening and be part of the solution on the 16 days. When I come back, I am chatting to um, another another person that's doing such amazing work in this field, uh, director of the South African Faith Institute, Elizabeth Peterson, after this. Music by Kajanin Sambolera, my son, and it is now time for news headlines with Sam Marshall.
The Dauphin Public Protector Tuli Moronsela has told former Communications Minister Dina Pule that resigning from Parliament is the honourable thing to do. The DS Gauteng Premier candidate Musi Maimane has handed over an anti-Italy memorandum of demands to the Office of the Speaker at the Provincial Legislature and the case against six suspects involved in an illegal dog-fighting syndicate has been postponed in the Neisner Magistrates Court. These are other stories at the top of the hour. Elizabeth Peterson is the founder of the South African Faith and Family Institute. They have a campaign calling us to take a stand against intimate partner abuse and gender-based violence. Elizabeth, welcome. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you you for your time. Absolutely. (laughs) Were you marching today? I was marching. You know, are you going to ask me about that also? (laughs) <laughs> you, Come on, you're we're very talking p- about, uh, what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just glad you, you marched safely. We, you'll tell us about that another time. But, but Elizabeth, your campaign, um, uh, Take a Stand, tell, tell us about that. Yes. So the South African Faith and Family Institute is really uh, very specifically concerned around the faith dimensions of gender-based violence and how some perpetrators often misuse scriptures and teachings Mm -hmm. um, to justify the abusive behavior. And then, of course, victims um, and survivors who are people of deep sense of faith struggle with, you know, when they go to the faith communities for help, they get the spiritual support, but they don't often understand the dynamics of the problem when they go to the organizations that helps with the problem, they don't understand the faith issues. So our particular focus is on alerting and raising awareness with religious leaders from different faith traditions on these scriptures and teachings and, I mean, essentially about making them aware of their critical role when they preach, when they teach, just hold, um, hold, that, so hold that thought, Elizabeth. I, I need to cross to the ODI, South African ODI that's happening with Natalie Germanos. Natalie, how are the boys in pink doing? Well, the boys in pink are certainly looking good at the moment, and they are batting first after India won the toss and chose to field first, which is not that surprising because India are very good at chasing, and the Wondrous is definitely a ground that is chaseable. A target that South Africa will be aiming for will definitely be around 250. They're going to need around that to put up a challenging total for India to chase. At the crease at the moment is Hashimamla and Quentin de Kock opening the batting for South Africa. No Graham Smith today. He has been left out and so has Imran Tahir. They've gone in with an all-pace attack today South Africa and they've just got underway. They are one without loss and are into the first over. From India's perspective they've gone with a very consistent side that's done so well for them for the last year or so. They've made sure that they've stuck with consistency and ensured that they keep the winning going. They've played in 31 ODIs this year and lost just 8 of them. So they've got a very good one day record this year. South Africa then at the moment batting first with Quinton Cock and Hashim Amla at the crease. Amla's on 1 and South Africa 1 without loss in the first over. That is Jamanis for SAFM Sport. Otherwise on SAFM Elizabeth Peterson is my guest. South African Faith and Family Institute is her organization. And you recognize the role that uh, religion, let me take this slowly, religion plays uh, in, 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 in 
in part, in fact, is, is, is the continuation of violence against women and its eradication? Yes, I, I believe and we believe that in the continuation but also very critical role in the prevention and eradication of violence against women. Yeah. And how, how do you hope to work with the religious leaders? The way that we've, you know, we started when SAFI started in probably 2008 and really got our work off the ground 2009, we literally started with conversations, creating safe spaces for religious leaders to come together and for them to, to, you know, we shared, this is what victims and survivors are saying. This is what we are hearing from perpetrators, you know, and how they sort of border on some uh, certain scriptures and teachings mm -hmm. to justify their behavior and just safe conversation and highlighting the yearning from especially victims and survivors of faith for their faith communities to to uh, offer them more helpful, you know, support. And so it's dialogues and conversations, and then it's through training, um, you know, and we've, we've, seen, we've seen an amazing response um, because I think religious leaders understand their critical role, mm -hmm. but they also know, and the research confirms, that they do not necessarily get... Uh, the necessary training, the theological training, often do not prepare them adequately to be able to respond to, mm. Um, mm. you know, the sort of problem. And this is not just of African religious leaders. It's not just some. It's across the board. Um, uh, across and the world confirms as well. That. Yeah, yeah. Now, what are these? What sort of justification do they make? I mean, you say they justify it and, and say it, it exists in whatever scriptures they're reading. Can you give us a, an example of it? I mean, for example, if, if um, I mean, I know uh, the majority, you know, in terms of the population, Christian, there's, there's some teachings that's just sort of out there on the street around the submission of women, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so perpetrators use that and refer to some of the scriptures then that, that that, that says that, although it says, for example, it's one scripture, one verse in the whole chapter, mm. but because the emphasis traditionally has been on women have to submit to their own husbands, that becomes the beginning and the end of that whole chapter. Mm. And so perpetrators then go home and use that. Notions around men or husbands having to be the head of the home, how does that translate into somebody who is using abuse in mm. the intimate relationships? Mm. So it's, it's about raising these sorts of scriptures. I mean, in the, in the, in the Jewish tradition, there's, you know, the, the, the notion around keeping the peace in the home. And what does that mean, you know, when there's a, a Jewish woman who is being abused? And how does she struggle with this particular responsibility? Now, now, when religious leaders preach and teach, it's not necessarily their intention, you know, that victims would feel oppressed mm -hmm. or that perpetrators would use some of those um, sermons to, to justify their behavior. So this is what we are raising to faith leaders. We're saying to them, when you preach and teach, we need you to know that the people sitting and listening to you 
There's probably a perpetrator listening to you. Mm -hmm. There's probably a victim or a survivor that's listening, and there's a child who might witness this in the home. That child's faith is being formed, and, you know, and that child experiences the interplay and how faith is and sort of spiritual abuse is actually also playing into the other forms of violence and abuse. And so it's literally raising the consciousness and awareness. We believe that religious leaders like, you know, any of the other uh, particular, like the police, the justice system, each one has a particular expertise and a particular insight and contribution to bring. Mm -hmm. So our work as SAFI we see as how do we come alongside faith leaders to strengthen their capacity as they offer pastoral and spiritual support you know, and and um, and because because faith people people of faith want their religious leaders to be able to understand the issue. How have how has your message been received? I mean, you you, you aren't you seen as somebody who's challenging tradition here? I mean, I think it's it's the approach. I've been in the sector since 1993, and I've worked in shelters for abused women and children, and I know that traditionally. You know, when uh, shelter activists or those of us who work in the gender-based violence field, when there's been conversation with religion or about religion, it's often been blaming or challenging and, you know, mm. and, and, and actually my experience of all of these years working with women, I've often heard women say, I don't necessarily want to end the relationship. I want the abuse and the violence to stop. They have spoken about their faith and the role that their faith play, and they have said intervention for the, for the perpetrator. So, so we see that as a point of entry with religious leaders, where we say you are critical partners, you know, in the lives mm. of of victims and survivors and these and and the families. And so we don't see them um, primarily as a problem. We see them as deeply, deeply, you know, influential in the mm. lives of mm. people mm. who are struggling. And so, for, I mean, for me, I think broadly, even in South Africa, there is no, uh, there's limited benefit in in hopping on the blaming part. Mm. Mm. You know, it's kind of like, hold on here. What The people that we seek to serve are the women and the children. I also work with perpetrators. So those are the people we seek to serve. What are they saying? How do we listen to what they are saying? And we, and we take that forward in our work. And I really believe in terms of the gender-based violence work in this country, we have to be very careful in terms of how we hear what victims and survivors are saying. You know, and how we translate that into policy, how we translate that into the work that we do, and so forth. And so for us as SAFI, we even have a particular strong emphasis on the need to engage perpetrators of domestic violence. Well, you know, the abuse and violence does destroy not only women and children, but the men too. Right. And we have to right. be very careful so that this campaign is not seen as a as a witch hunt yes. for for yeah. for the male um, male you know men generally in fact exactly so how do we how how do we then walk that fine line uh, that creates awareness but also doesn't uh, exacerbate the situation 
Right. Here's, here's our position, Shadow. We really believe that there's a few men who abuse. It, you know, there's, and I'll give you one example. I'll give you an example of um, one of the faith leaders, one of the faith denominations that we're working with. Mm-hmm. There was one religious leader who have been uh, involved in sexual misconduct mm-hmm. right through his ministry. He's in retirement now, but mm-hmm. he has been abusing, you know, uh, some of his congregational members in different congregations. So there's one person mm-hmm. who has been doing this for how many years in different congregations. We are saying that we have to get into that person, do some work there, Mm. you know, so that this person do not repeat. Because if you can think of on average, if he has violated on average three people at each of his, say for example, five congregations, Mm. how many lives have been destroyed? And you're absolutely right around, we have the same concern. We're saying most men, I mean, my experience, I grew up in a home of nine children, poor, you know, my parents didn't have any education. Mm. I've never seen my dad using violence or shaming, you know, or abusing. So I believe that there's, there's countless examples like that. And so, so men who do not use abuse, there's also a call upon them, you know, to say, brothers, you need to step up. You need to say something mm-hmm. because it is, I think there's something very particular about when men call men to yes. account for the yes. violence that is happening, Yes. you know. And so what we are, for example, saying when we speak to the faith communities, we say men of faith, where are you? We know that there are many of you who do not abuse your intimate partners. And, and we're also asking um, religious leaders and men, for example, to say, you know, think of your daughter. Let, if your daughter or your sister begin to tell you something about her experience on a day when she leaves and goes to school or come home after work, what has been her journey through the day, how much she had to navigate through, mm. You know, some of the things that happen to women and girl children on a daily basis. So it's, so it's, it's, it's not about saying, I certainly do not believe that the majority of the men abuse the intimate partners. My concern is that we, we on, I mean, I know only of three, at least, I mean, three, maybe four organizations that does direct work with perpetrators of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Now, you asked us to listen and listen very carefully. What mm-hmm. should we be listening for, you know, when, when there's abuse happening um, and the perpetrators especially that you talk to, maybe we know some of them, but when conversations happen, what, what sort of listening, as you said, listen carefully, but what are we listening for? Are there underlying messages? Are there things that we could pick up that would give us solutions? I mean, I think, I think with, with um, men who may be using, you know, abuse, where you kind of pick up, oh, something sounds like, you know, this person, it's the attitude, because that often comes through, mm-hmm. you know, the attitude um, towards women, either in general or women very specifically. Um, I think faith communities, if, if we go to some of our scriptures, some of our scriptures are very clear 
in terms of um, the fact that people were created equal, mm-hmm. right? And so, and, and I believe that we are different, but we are created, for example, in the image of God. You know, so our lives are sacred. And so when any human being seems to suggest that some other human being is less um, or because they are different, they are not, you know, able less to do equal. certain things or somebody else who has more power has, you, you know, can, can just use their power in any way that is oppressive and silencing and making it impossible for the other human being to live their full potential Mm-hmm. I think in that context, we, ha- we all have a responsibility to support each other, you know, to say, hold on, brother, or hold on, sister. What are you doing when you, you know, when you make it impossible for another human being to live out their full potential? And so for me, that cuts across, um, you know, because, yes, we do often get um, what about men who are being abused, and we know that there are some men who are mm-hmm. in very, very difficult um, abusive relationships, in, in, you know, with, with their, uh, their partners as well. Um, and and it's the, the principle is the same. You know, one of the things that we, that we really um, encourage is we in this country, in Africa, have ancient philosophies and spiritual guides like Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. And how about if we reclaim Ubuntu and if we begin to cultivate that as an ethos in our intimate relationships, hmm. you know, as an ethos in, in all of our engagements. In our daily lives. In our daily lives, you know. When, when, when I'm aware of the sacredness in the life of this other person, the way that I come to that person is very different. I think it was also um, Desmond Tutu who once said, um, if you, in order for one human being to violate another human being, you have to make that person less than human. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, week after week, in my sessions with perpetrators, the treatment group, we have to remind the men to call the, the whether it's an ex or a current wife or a current girlfriend or whatever, we have to remind them to call their partners by their names. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth, we, we've run out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. Take a stand. What's, what's the call to action quickly? The call to action is to take a stand, to speak out, make your places of worship safe, mm. true places of safety where victims can come, but also perpetrators or potential perpetrators can come and say, I'm in trouble, I need help. Mm. Thank you so much for joining us, Elizabeth. Thank you so much, Shadow. And don't march again this afternoon. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Elizabeth Peterson, and she is from the South African Faith and Family Institute. Take a stand. Visit their website. They've got some YouTube. You hear messages on YouTube from different faith leaders, South African faith leaders. It's now time for Shop Shop, and the story is about rainbow pudding.